Welcome to the Missing Mora Murray podcast. This is a very special episode for us today. Lance and I are joined by the stars of the new television show, The Disappearance of Mora Murray, Maggie Freeling and Art Roderick. Hi, guys. How's it going? How you doing? Good. Thanks for joining us. We're in, uh, we're in uh, Maggie's uh, stomping ground here. We're in Manhattan, downtown Manhattan, and um, at... The uh, NBC Studios, which is super cool. We're in Uptown Manhattan, and my stomping ground is Queens. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Okay. Those of us from New England understand. Yeah. He obviously is from Boston. He knows nothing. Let me start that over. (laughs) No, we'll we'll go with that. I'm happy to make the mistake and be corrected. We are in. uh, Uptown Manhattan. <laughs> We're all friends here. And it's Maggie, a big city. <laughs> Maggie came from Queens to join us. So thank you, everybody. We're going we're gonna to ask some questions about the, about the show, but we're not going to get too deep into the details because there's a lot of, lot of stuff that's come out. Well, yes, that and this episode is going to air as soon, uh, re- really on Friday, so before the premiere of this uh, brand new television show on the Oxygen Network. It is premiering September 23rd at 8.15 p.m. Eastern and Pacific, uh, right after the finale of The Disappearance of Natalie Holloway. So very exciting uh, to talk to you guys here today, but also very exciting that, that just that this show is happening finally. Finally. We've been working on this for like a year and a half almost. We've been filming for a year. And you guys, this is... It has a, taken forever. <laughs> right. And um, I had another question, but when you just said it has taken forever, was this something that was unexpected to you? Did you, did you think that it was going to be, you know, I'll get in there, I'll look at some of the details, I'll talk to some people, and the conclusion was going to be pretty obvious? Or are you surprised right now? Uh, a little of both. I mean, I knew this was going to take us a while to film this because I've done a couple of these shows in the past, and it does take a long time. Uh, I mean, we're talking a six-hour special, so that's a lot of filming. Um, and, and we had, I mean, really a lot of people to talk to on this case. I mean, there, there's so many rabbit holes here that um, the list of people that we talked to is pretty lengthy. Uh, not only law enforcement, but friends, family, um, you know, and a lot of people involved in this thing, witnesses, people in the community, people back in handsome Massachusetts, so it's it's uh, it, it was a pretty intense uh, number of months that we uh, ended up filming this thing. As far as the amount of rabbit holes, is is that something unique to this case? So I think I think um, in some ways yes, and I think that as somebody who has followed true crime for a while, you know, I find with other cases you know, you, you'll find a body or you know where that person was going. And with Mora, you – it's a mystery and a mystery, as you guys have said. I mean, she vanished and we don't know what she was doing. So that leaves the doors open for so much speculation and so many rabbit holes. We don't have much concrete evidence to steer us in one direction. So, I mean, it is pretty endless with the rabbit holes you can go down. And you went down a lot of these rabbit holes. We did. We did. Yeah. We um we did go through pretty much all of the major theories that are out there, um you know ones that you guys have talked about you know suicide, dying of the elements, police conspiracy, um running away and being abducted. 
And do you guys feel like you've made progress on these theories? Yeah, I, I do. I think, you know, as we explored each one, um, we did find new evidence with many of them. Um, and we shut the door on a lot of a lot of them, too. This is huge with people in the community, not only the people that contribute to the um, to the blogs and to the Reddit threads and etc. This is huge to the investigators that have looked into the case in the beginning. Have you con- have you been in contact with any of the investigators from the beginning? And what what sort of information have you gotten from from previous investigations that you're able to either confirm or not confirm? Yeah, I, I think one of the problems with this particular case, and and I mean, I, I did something similar to this in the 80s when America's Most Wanted first came up. And, you know, we get a couple hundred leads a night. With this particular case just hanging out there um, on the Internet, uh, I mean, there's been thousands of leads in this case. It's, it's like overwhelming, and you have to investigate every one of them. And I think one of the problems that we found is that over the years, a lot of false information has been taken as truth. And one of the main things we tried to do here is go back to February 9th of 2004 and see just exactly what the base facts were, uh, what was she, what was Maura doing around that time, and what exactly witnesses had said, and then start from there mm-hmm. and build out. Right, right. And in terms of, you know, answering your question as well as working with police, you know, we we have been in touch with them. And people will see that in the show. Now, is that – so you guys developed a working relationship with law enforcement in New Hampshire. Um, so how did that go? Yeah, it was hard. Art did a lot of that legwork. And I think if it wasn't for Art, um, I there's no way. I mean, you guys saw it. I mean, they have an open case. They are not divulging information Rightly so. I mean, they have to protect evidence if there does come a trial. Um, yeah, so we we got really fortunate that Art was with us. I think one of the one of the issues we ran into, and you always run into, is you have two real aspects of this. You have the the investigation that the police are doing, but then you also have the prosecution mm-hmm. that the state attorney general's office would would yeah. do. So, you know, they always work together. But there's a different point of view that each one has as they move through a case like this. The AG's office is trying to protect information because they have to present it as evidence at a trial. And the law enforcement side, the investigators are just trying to figure out mm-hmm. exactly what happened to her, but also preserve evidence. So it's, it's, it's hard for them to talk about any portion of this case at all because they really are looking at this case uh, from a from an aspect of it being uh, a criminal case as opposed to just a missing person case. Right. And I think I think, you know, there was a little bit of a push and pull with that. I mean, I think that the police and the investigators would be more open to releasing information because I think they think that could lead to new leads or somebody remembering something. But, you know, then you get the pushback from the AG's office who are like, no, we need to preserve this evidence. So it is very, very hard. And did you find that you had any difficulty uh, approaching law enforcement because of uh, all of the activity that has come up to this point with, um, with, with like citizen detectives and armchair detectives possibly burning bridges? I, I think some of it, yes, but, but I think when we sat down with them and they looked us in the eye and we basically told them, hey, you know, we're just trying to get to the truth 
<clears throat> they're trying to get to the same thing. And I think they saw that what we were doing was trying to, you know, our paths were going to intersect here. Uh, it took a little while for them to be comfortable with us and to realize that we were really serious about this and that, you know, the production really was a major, a major film production going on here. You know, at any given point, we had three cameras. You know, we had 12 or 15 people walking around. I mean, you saw some of the, some of the crew and how large it was. So, I mean, that, that, was, that impressed upon them that we were really serious about getting down to the base facts of this and sorting through all the false information that's out there that's been on the net, that's been publicized in magazines and in books. So um, I think they saw this as a real opportunity to help them out. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of the, obviously the theories the, there. There's major theories. The the, the major theories are uh, Mora was abducted, um, Mora committed suicide. Whether that be she intended to when she left UMass, or whether that be she got into an accident and then ran off into the woods, and that's sort of almost like a fourth theory uh, in that way. Uh, or she she ran away. I, I guess, but 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 the, the police conspiracy idea is is one that I want to touch on here because the people who believe in the police conspiracy as the truth of what happened here I I just hope they don't look at this TV show and they say well you know Art and Maggie and Lance and Tim and and everyone involved in the show now is is compromised by this cover-up and conspiracy. So I guess my question is, do you feel that, that you dug deep enough into the possibility of this police conspiracy to where you have a a, a, a good, solid opinion? I, I think we have, and I think we've answered that question, Maggie. And I obviously, I don't want to give up any spoilers, but it took us a long time to get there. Let me tell you that. Yeah. It, it wasn't easy, and we did talk to a lot of people um, and you'll see how we came to the conclusion that we came to in the show. But I, I think we've answered a lot of those questions. Um, one thing, I mean, at this point in time, if, you know, if the police had something definite, I mean, they, they just don't have that golden nugget out there. I mean, they have done, they have done really a lot of work on this case that is, that is unknown to the public, mm-hmm. unknown to anybody. Um, I mean, they've kept this fairly quiet, but uh, they have done a lot of work uh, with anyone that has had any connection to her whatsoever. They have talked to. They, and, have, ju- they have just about talked to. And and in terms of you know the police conspiracy or any kind of conspiracy or any of the theories that are out there, people are still going to believe what they want to believe. I mean. Right. No matter what we find, they weren't in the room with us talking to these people, seeing their, you know, visceral reactions firsthand. I mean, if someone wants to believe in a police conspiracy, it doesn't matter what we find. They're still going to believe that. I mean, you have to be really open to the evidence to come to, you know, a rational conclusion at the end of it. Now, you and Art, were you intimidated? Um... Oh no! My question was for Art. No, <laughs> no, I, I, yeah. I'll tell you. I think Maggie has done a fantastic job in a lot of these interviews, um, and I think we play off each other very, very well. I actually, I have three daughters, and all three of my daughters are older than Maggie. But I think it's worked out very, very well because of our different attitudes that we bring 
to this case. Obviously, you know, I've got 40 years of law enforcement behind me now and, and Maggie being an investigative reporter. We each have different connections to this case. Maggie went to UMass um, uh, as Maura did. Um, you know, I'm from Cape Cod. Fred, Fred Murray, Maura's father, actually works in the, the town, in the, in the hospital in the town where I, I uh, have a house and I'm always up there quite a bit. So I've actually bumped into Fred a couple times uh, walking down the street in downtown Falmouth. Um, so there's a lot of different connections that we both have to this particular case, which also is, it's kind of, it's been weird a couple times when we find these connections that we have. I think with her background, with the law enforcement side, and, and I was actually a police officer up in Massachusetts for a little while, way back when, I think that's all, that's all helped. Yeah. And you know what I think it is too, Art, is that, you know, we both felt very strongly about this case. And I think yes. that it wasn't like we're at odds with each other. It's not like we're working against each other. Like we both wanted to work on this. I'm kind of jealous of your guys' relationship. I mean, your partner is horrible. <laughs> yeah. I, he's, he's really <laughs> awful to me and really mean behind the scenes to me. Um, but uh, no, you guys have like, and I think I told you guys this on, on uh, while we were shooting that, that you guys kind of have like a like an uncle and and niece like <laughs> kind of fun relationship, but I, I've actually also described Art as a person as like the cool uncle yes. at like a holiday party that you oh, know, yeah. you're hanging out with. He's the with cool family. grandpa. I mean, he's got the photos <laughs> hey, of his grandkids. I didn't want to like, go there, Maggie. Listen, he's a grandpa. It's not insulting. <laughs> I mean, his grandkids are adorable. He spends his time. At their hockey games and stuff. <laughs> right, well, Lance is so much older than me that, that he said he, Art was a cool uncle, and I actually <laughs> said he was a cool grandpa like Maggie did. <laughs> we know we can't get into specifics due to the case being open and legal reasons, but in the broadest sense of the you know term here, can you let us know, did you enter the case thinking one thing about uh, what happened to Mora, and was that particular train of thought changed by the time you were done? And this can be a uh, yeah. Maggie can answer, and then Art can answer right after. Yeah, I think um, as you guys know, you know, almost every time you speak with somebody, your opinion changes. It's it's wild. I mean, everybody is so passionate and compelling when you talk to them that. You know, when you go in with an open mind, your mind is so impressionable. So, yeah, I think I think at least for myself, you know, my opinion changed pretty much the whole time. And then we got to the end and we're just like, OK, but what is the most rational thing that could have happened? What is the most likely? Um, and we we agreed. I think the whole time we agreed on things. Um, you know, there was some like back and forth. Well, like, could this have happened? And then one of us would be like, no way. And the other one's like, yeah, but look at it like this. And. We really did have those discussions, um, and we were mostly on the same page. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I absolutely. It, you do go back and forth a lot. I mean, there's only like you know, you mentioned the the theories before, and I mean, really, those are the basis of what what you have to work with. There's really not many options outside of those five or six theories, other than variations of of some of them. But uh, we we went back and forth on a lot of them, and I think. All of them are probabilities, but I think we came to the conclusion that the most probable one 
would be X as opposed to some of these other ones. And I don't want to give away what our what our theory is, but I think, you know, we had to look at of those five or six theories, which one is more probable that happened here? So you said X, is that some kind of code like that we can decipher <laughs> online somehow? Yes. No, yes. no, don't. Yes. Let, we Everybody can, we can try and decipher. Conspiracy theory on X. <laughs> right. And we that, we got five episodes ready to go. X on equals X. what? Yeah. Right. And that that's partially a joke, but that's partially because you know right there's a lot of noise in the case and you guys had to go in there yes. and you had to eliminate all of this mm-hmm. noise and you know yeah. that that's part of it you can say something as innocent as we had x as a theory and people are going to start googling like more murray names that begin with x yes because you right. might have something that yes. you know and you're you're delivering some code yes so right. what was it like trying to fight through all that noise <sighs> yeah i mean i think art was much more frustrated by it than myself because i kind of grew up in this age of you know that's just what life is like. Um, but I think art was very frustrating. Yeah, it, it, Maggie's right. I mean, to me, it, 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 and I look, obviously look at it from the law enforcement lens and it, you, you spend a lot of time tearing down these theories or these hypotheses or whatever you want to call them. Um, and, and that's basically what we did. And I think that was a big help to law enforcement too, Um, They looked at a lot of the conclusions we came to, and they tend to agree with sort of what we've come up with. Um, But again, it it just shows you how bizarre this case is. I mean, you guys have talked about it, and, and, you know, we've looked at a ton of information that you've provided. And to me, it's just unbelievable that she goes missing in a seven to nine minute, seven to ten minute time frame. Um, completely and uh, you know that's that's frustrating in and of itself you know i think a really good example of art and i actually really disagreeing on this is with you know we went out we followed him and his armchair people and you know everybody's saying you know we should follow this because this is a great example of all the noise in this case and to me it was just he's not hurting anybody you know, what does it matter? If he comes across something, that's great. That can add to it. You know, he's having people go out there and search. I mean, what is the harm in that? And I think Art and I did clash on that a little bit because Art was like, yeah, but he's clouding the investigation. You know, he's bringing up all these things, you know, talking to Fred and making Fred have hope. And, you know, I get that, but I'm like, but he's still out there. You know, the more hands on deck, I think sometimes it, it can help. And it, there is this fine line. And I think we're right. still trying to figure out where that line is. It is providing false hope to uh, Mr. Murray or the Murray family. Is it, is it cruel or is it actually um, like well-intentioned and right? like n- maybe nice? I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, you guys were talking about, and I didn't even expect to talk about this, but it's a fascinating concept when you were talking about like the cool uncle or the cool grandfather, and then you come into the scene and you're from a completely different um, generation. Uh, I feel like Tim and I kind of bridge that, the two generations a bit, but that's not just generations of how people uh, consume information. That's that's generations of how investigations are happening. Mm-hmm. You know, art's frustrated because you're thinking that, Hey, the more the more people talking, you know, yeah, some some things might 
you know, some people might be like hurt feelings or some things might be, you know, uh, not 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 necessarily true, but at least the the conversation's still going and at least people are still sourcing all this information. And I can imagine an old an old style way of investigating isn't like that at all. You want to keep things as close to the vest as possible and you want to you want to make sure that. You don't release information well, for the, the sake of the case. And the police had said to us, but there too, is a balance there, right? Right, and the police had <laughs> said to us too that they read the blogs. I mean, they do go through all of this, and yes. it's daunting. I mean, you guys know, you guys read them. I don't, I don't know if you do anymore, but there's a point where you, for your sanity, you just have to stop. But I mean, they do, and you know, they go through all of that. I couldn't even. I can't even handle it just based on. The information from our point of view, I couldn't imagine doing it from an investigator's point of view, yeah. trying to find something in there. Yeah. If you're trying to like troll the case, you're putting like all this crappy information out there. You're putting, right. you know, and I can't imagine being law enforcement looking at yeah. that and saying like, okay, well, I know this is bullshit, but I got to follow up on it. Follow up on it. I got to look right. into it somehow because what if it isn't? What if that's right. like zero zero one percent? That's not the case. And it sits out there, and then all of a sudden, the public believes it's fact. Right. And it really isn't fact. Yeah. Right. All they've done is just planted the seed and, you know, watch right. watch the community, like, nurture it, and, and then it grows. So it really kind of opens right. this can of worm for law enforcement, can of worms for law enforcement that they have to follow up on this, even though they don't believe that it could be a possibility. Right. And how I mean, we ended up, and I'm not going to give it away, but we ended up actually following a couple leads ourselves that came that came our way. Um, that we actually mentioned to the state police, and boom, they were all over it the next day. But it, I think we do show that that there's a lot of misinformation out there, and uh, a lot of times that's very difficult to have to go through all that misinformation. I mean, it's good that it keeps the case in the public's eye, but it, you know, it it kind of keeps these false, this false information and falsehoods going. Um, you know, for as long as the internet stays up, I guess. So it has to be just one last point on this whole thing. Would you think that it's uh, somewhat refreshing or maybe they don't necessarily say, can come out and say it, but do you think that there's some point, some some part of law enforcement that is grateful for something like this because they have people who are volunteering to do something like this and they don't really have to focus on it so much like you just said you brought some stuff up to the state police and the next day they were out looking at it that was something that they probably wouldn't have bothered to follow up on just due to resources and time i think we would both agree yes yes right as long as it's being done in a responsible way yeah Yeah, exactly and i think that that's the hard part um you know you have to develop trust with the with the law enforcement agency uh because there are a lot of people that that would do something like this but not in a responsible way. And, and I think they had to feel us out and make sure that that's exactly what we were trying to do. We weren't trying to take advantage of the Murray family or, or put false information out there. Or, or you know, we, we reiterated to them over and over again that we just wanted to get down to the bare facts of what happened on February 9th of 2004. So... Now, other than Lance and myself, who were you most intimidated by when you when you spoke with them? Well, I don't 
know if there's many interviews we can really talk about right now, but I would say nobody knew what to expect going into the Renner interview. Okay, so the the answer is me and Lance. I just want to yes. write this down. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to write that down. That uh, You well, guys, yeah. Uh, former U.S. Marshal and investigative journalist thought that we were really intimidated. Let me just write we that came down. In hot. Actually, okay. we I came look in like hot. a freaking nerd at meeting you guys. Like that trailer that's like out online right now. Like my face is red. I'm like, oh my God, you guys, tell me how you met. Tell me everything. Like I was like way too excited. Well, I couldn't <laughs> see your face through all the cat hair flying up yes, out of my couch. Yes, and your cat was screaming. <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, nobody, I think nobody knew what to expect with the Renner interview. It was, it was, uh, that could have gone many ways. And how yeah. do you, how do you guys feel that went? You know, I, I personally, I do like James Renner. Um, you know, and everybody has their opinions on his book. I personally really like him. He's been really great to me. He has been so helpful when you ask for information, he will give it to you. Um, I, you know, I think he truly does want to find out what happened. He believes that she is not, does not want to be found. So, you know, he's putting an end to that. Um, I think Art felt differently, but it was... Uh... I'm sure he's a nice guy. Um, I just don't, from from purely uh, uh, an investigative standpoint, uh, I think he drew a lot of conclusions based on false information or the fact that nobody would talk to him. And he kind of dragged those conclusions out to these very grandiose type theories, but... Um, I mean, he's he's a guy trying to write a book and make some money. Um, I, I just don't agree with the stuff that he that he concluded in his book based on. I, I mean, there wasn't a lot of people that talked to him. I can tell you that. He, you know, you ask him, did you did you talk to so and so? He'll tell you yes, but the follow up question is, well, did they tell you anything or just tell you they didn't want to talk to you? Um, a lot of people didn't talk to him. Uh, I, I can tell you the family didn't want to talk to him. So, you know, he draws a lot of conclusions, I think, based on, on incorrect information. Yeah, so it was it was interesting meeting him because, you know, we had all read the book. Um, we had heard him on your podcast. And it, it, we were – I was definitely nervous to meet him. I didn't know if he was going to be – as forthcoming as helpful i mean you read this book and you come away with this villain character you know he doesn't speak highly of himself in the book so i mean you come right. away with this type of villain and then you meet him and he's actually as you guys know he's he's very nice he's he is a nice guy um yeah he's a pretty mellow guy he's a very mellow guy so i think yeah really... i agree with you maggie i think the book was more about himself his you know but he does, yes, and, but he does label it as such. It's my yeah. uh, obsession with the Moore Murray case. I mean, right. yes, it's about him. And then, you know, yes, some, you know, he did do some things very improperly. But, you know, right. uh, then the bottom line is this book, one, Renner found out the stuff about West Point and, yes. you know, the credit card fraud. Without Renner, we wouldn't have that. And that rejuvenated people's interest in this case. So, you know, yes, he did some harm, but was it for the greater good? Yeah. I mean, he did come up with with good facts, reports. Um, you know, some people did talk to him um, and he was able to come up with some good information to keep the case alive. It's just some of the conclusions he drew, um, I think, were a little far fetched. 
So if you were to have any advice for someone who was going into something like this, uh, like either writing a book or doing a podcast or just armchair sleuthing on a case, uh, what, what would you tell people? Everything needs to be corroborated by multiple right. sources and keep your notes and your records, preferably audio recordings. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, Maggie and I had these conversations several times. Uh, regarding eyewitness accounts, and I said, God, I hate eyewitness accounts. There's there's a lot of people in jail, wrongly in jail, just based on eyewitness accounts without corroboration of what they've actually seen. And and that's really what we did a lot, and you'll see this through the six episodes, is we were able to corroborate a lot of information that was out there through not just an eyewitness testimony, but through um, actual factual-type sources. So... Um, that was one of the big things that we did during these the, 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 these episodes was to corroborate a lot of information. And hearing the two of you talk, Maggie gives the answer, you back it up. That that answer right there, and it's so clear that you guys had this. You know, this is a conversation that's been that that was yeah. that happened early and often with yeah. with this yeah. case. Is how do we do this right? How do we make yeah. sure that this is done right? And you realize that there's going to be an impact when people watch the show and they think they can do the same yeah. thing. So you you're now saying, hey, here's what you have to do. Um, was there at any time that you felt like you guys bit off more than you can chew? Did you ever like? When you're sitting in in the in you know you're you're sitting together in the car and you're talking about this and you're talking about the responsible way to do stuff, were you ever like, holy shit, there's I don't know if we can do this. Yeah, I mean, I think especially for the time frame, we yes. certainly bit off more than we can chew. I mean, we're talking about you know this isn't an ongoing podcast series like you guys are fortunate to have. I mean, we were like, here's your air date, get it all in by this time. So. Sure. I mean, it is insane, as you guys know, how much information you guys were with us on part of this. I mean, yes, we definitely bit off more than we could chew going into this with only only a year and a half working on it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And and I remember when we first started, we're like, oh, my God, do we have enough yeah. for six one-hour shows? And then it came to the point where we had to start cutting stuff out. Because there was so many twists and turns Big in this stuff. thing. Like so stuff that I think people even see in the trailer that didn't make it into the show, which will probably be web extras. But, I mean, there's big stuff. There's interviews that we did, evidence that we've gotten that, you know, couldn't even make it into the show. Okay, so how excited are we going to be? And how excited are the listeners of this podcast going to be about this show and the new information? I'm so excited. I mean, if you know, if you're listeners, people who are following this case and have listened to every yeah. episode that you guys have done, man, they're yeah, really, really happy with what we found. Yeah, there, there's a definite flow to this show. I mean, we kind of in the beginning bring up all the questions, and then we try to go through and then answer all the questions. Yeah, I mean, so definitely it's kind of like a roller coaster. Stick with it, and you will find a lot. Yeah, that's pretty much the story with the case itself. Yeah. Is, Nothing really right. gets going until you yeah. really start until digging. Until you get into it. Yeah. Right. So you got to kind of show them that too. Yes. Yeah. Let, let yourself become obsessed and then, and then just let it wash over you and just let, listen to the information and then make up your opinion. You know, come, up, come to your opinion on this series after you've watched all six episodes. Yes. And this is uh, – I have two questions um, and you can each answer, answer them, you know, in unison, as in we usually in do. Unison. But um, <laughs> now, 
I know that this first question seems obvious on on the face of it, but was this show the right thing to do? Okay, I can answer first because I feel like we might have different opinions. (laughs) Yes, I do think so. And I think this show was important to do, one, because I think this is solvable and there needs to be more attention on it and somebody needs to say something finally. And, you know, as we've seen from other documentaries and podcasts, you know, when there is a lot of public attention, people will crack. So I think, yes, number one. Number two, Maura's case is representative of a national problem when a person goes missing or when you find a body, a Jane or John Doe. There is no, you know, national methodology for identifying and finding missing persons. And this is something Art and I came across. You know, the system is very broken. It's very disjointed. So it's really difficult when you have a young girl and the cops respond to this scene and it just seems like a drunk driving accident. It's not considered a crime scene. It's not considered a crime. So, you know, the problem starts right there. And the problems just keep on going when, you know, this person could have been abducted, killed, and their body could have been left in Idaho. And the way of identifying that Jane Doe to a missing person in New Hampshire is very, very difficult. You know, so at any given day, there are 70,000 missing women in this country and more is representative of that. That, that is a huge issue. I mean, if, there, if there's no foul play that can be determined for a person going missing, then it falls into this kind of this gray area. Um, if there's foul play, then obviously it becomes a criminal case. Um, if there's no foul play, then they're kind of just listed in one of five different databases Um, you know, we could do a whole show on just the whole missing person thing. And that's one of the things that both Maggie and I were kind of upset about because we actually wanted to spend a day here in D.C. and kind of talk to all these different um, organizations that have databases sort of touching on missing persons cases. Uh, We didn't get a chance to do that. Maybe if we do this again, we will. I mean, I think it's it's a it's interesting, but it also would educate the public. As I mean, to... it's it's crucial. Like people, right. you know, watch these shows, you know, CSI, whatever. Right. And they think, you know, you find a body, you plug in the DNA and poop, there's your match right there. It absolutely 100% does not work like that. Yeah. So Mora could be a Jane Doe in a morgue somewhere. It doesn't, she doesn't have to be buried in the White Mountains. I mean, she could be found and not found. And this was something that Art and right. I both feel very passionately about. Um, we didn't have time in the series to get this in as we really wanted to. But, you know. So the, you, you feel passionate about this as an issue, not necessarily yes. that this is the outcome. Yes. as that this, isn't, as this is an issue we feel very passionately about. Um, right. So to answer your question, yes, I think this show, you know, should have been made because it's largely representative of a bigger problem. Sure. Yep. That's great. And you agree with that, Art? No, no, absolutely. I yeah. mean, I, I think that is that is the kind of the view from 35,000 feet. Yes, it, it illustrates a larger problem. And I wish we could have got into that uh, a lot more. But I mean, for this particular case, I think the 
the fact that we're able to get to the basic facts of this and hopefully dispel a lot of stuff out there. You know, we're talking 13 years later, a lot of things change in 13 years. Um, you know, sometimes witnesses come forward that wouldn't have come forward 13 years ago. And I'm hoping that's the particular case here. And I know the New Hampshire State Police also hope the same thing, that somebody's mind might have changed. They might have moved away. They could have had some information that they didn't bring forward, thinking the police would have figured it out by now. And this just kind of brings it to the forefront again. But um, I think at some point we really should specifically talk about the missing person issue here in the United States, because you can legally go missing at 21 years old or older. Well, yeah, I think and, that and, that was a huge part of her case. I mean, right. you know, it, it, that's that was the thing. She was 21 years old. Like she could have run away if she wanted to. There's no law that says you can't just disappear yourself. So that whole concept was very problematic with her case. I just have one quick question, then we can wrap this up. Uh, so there's a there's an Applebee's in in uh, in Littleton, New Hampshire, right? There is. Yeah, can you just tell us a little bit about this Applebee's? <laughs> How familiar are you with it? Uh, oh God. <laughs> well, I can tell you, our DP has an Applebee's shirt. Our our sound guy um, was very kind, and one of the women was out for surgery, and you know he gave her a card, and you know we we have a very close relationship with the people at Applebee's in Littleton. If anybody's listening or watching the show, which I'm sure they will be, hello yeah. you guys, thank you for feeding us and keeping us happy with the booze the whole time. <laughs> yes, yeah, it was uh, just one of those things where we're talking Littleton, and there's not much there. Uh, from a perspective of, plus, you know, we work late. I mean, and when you get back at, you know, 930 at night, you're tired and it's Applebee's just happened to be at the bottom of the hill where the hotel was. And Isn't their slogan we... like your neighborhood grill or something? Like it straight up yeah. was like, we would yeah. all be like done with a long day of filming and we're like, man, see you at Applebee's in a bit. And then like one of the producers would be at the bar with their laptop and then the whole squad would walk in and we were like, Oh, Hey, like everybody was at Applebee's. <laughs> it was the spot in Littleton. Yeah. Well, the show is going to be amazing. The work that you guys put in on it is, uh, for the past year and a half is phenomenal. And I think when people see this, if it doesn't, if it doesn't clear up some, some issues for them, it'll certainly open their eyes to the approach. Or it'll and, certainly add issues that or, they hadn't thought about before. Or it'll add issues. <laughs> no, just kidding. No, just kidding. Yeah. yeah but, well, and, and there is something else that I want to say is that, um, you know, without you guys and your podcast, we would yeah. not be here. So thank you for doing that and you know i know you guys feel like a little shamey about some of the first episodes you put out but everything is a learning curve and i'm sure art and i are going to find some of that with this too you know yes. if there's something that you know we stumble on please forgive us um we are doing our best and we all have the best intentions so thank you guys for your podcast yeah the podcasts have been great i told you the story about uh, a year ago this was a year ago we hadn't even started shooting. We had just started talking about the case, and I was asked to give this speech at the New, e New Zealand Embassy here in Washington, D.C. Well, I walked in, and I started talking to one of the guys, and I go, oh, yeah, I'm getting ready to shoot this missing person case out of New Hampshire, Maura Murray. And he, you know, in this New Zealand accent, he goes, I just listened to one of the podcasts. Do I the New Zealand accent, Art. To the latest podcast. 
before he had walked in and met me. So um, the podcasts are great, and uh, obviously they're everywhere. Um, you got a you got a fan, at least one fan in New Zealand uh, that's been listening to you guys on the podcast. I think he's got an extra room that he can like hook us up with because I've been dying sure, to go. Sure. I've got an extra room, Lance. Come come to New Zealand. That's like Irish or Scottish. You might want to cut that, that accent. Yeah. Wow, that was super Lance, offensive. Please leave it in. As I'm just saying, be forgiving of us. Yeah. Like, yeah. everybody, please. Like, his, Tim has to ruin the whole thing. Himself. I love the podcast, guys. Yeah. Uh, but well, thank you guys yeah. seriously so much for the work that you put in like it's it's really meaningful for us to have have gone on this journey for as long as we have and then to meet you guys and and you really rep- represent hope you know for us and a lot of the people in this community so uh i i know that you know that that burden is on your shoulders uh by now but um you know it's going to be pretty cool to see all these people uh watch the show and and really feel Feel good about the work that you and everyone has put into it. And I think we should also the Texas crew is a, is a fantastic organization, and they make they're going to make all of us look good. Oh my gosh! In and, in and of itself is a difficult mission, but they are a they fantastic are the most fantastic company. humans. Yes, right. Yeah. Think think they, about they've, they've done a bang up shot. Think about what they've done. Yeah. Um, without like without totally sounding like a fanboy, but. Think about what they've done. They've they've taken the information that's out there online that's been crowdsourced. They've found the podcast. They gambled on chemistry between the four of us. And right. they and they, they gambled on the network, Oxygen, rebranding as a crime network, having the balls to say, Okay, well we're gonna have to go through some lawyers here, but we can get this done and and now you just said it's solvable. I think this is solvable. Yeah. And two years ago, if you were to ask me, it wasn't it wasn't solvable. Or if you were to ask anybody in the yeah. community, who knows what they would have said. D- depending on the day, they may have given you a different answer. Exactly. And now you're saying, no, this is this is solvable. Yeah. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.